Hey guys, welcome to the Naeem Fazel podcast. And you know, the, my name is Vinny and I was talking to Naeem. I said, you know what? I never introduced myself on the podcast. So today I'm going to say, hello, this is Vinny. Welcome. And now I'm going to welcome in Naeem Fazel, the star of the show. Oh my gosh. This is hilarious. <laughs> this is so funny. Uh, for those of oh you who gosh. do not know this, obviously you don't know this. This is the second take of this intro for this podcast. <laughs> and so I'm laughing because of this. Uh, no, yes, man, we do yes. everything first take every time. Don't, uh, you know, Yeah, Yeah, we do. We're yeah, sorry, sorry. experienced pros. There's no mess ups we, here. Okay. No mess ups whatsoever. Just the fact that we're doing is doing this podcast is a <laughs> we mess chose. up. But anyway. <laughs> uh, yes. But yes. Yes, for those of you who do not know, this is Vin- Vinny Candelore uh, from Pittsburgh. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, uh, I should say now I'm getting used to you being in Pittsburgh, even I though know, you man. know we met in Charlotte. But yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, man. Yeah. Today we are uh, wrapping up. I think we're wrapping up. I'm not quite sure if this is the last one, but we are. I would say we're wrapping up our dark room sessions uh, mm-hmm. with Clayton King, a buddy of mine who. I've done events with before. He's really in the youth pastor world and uh, mm-hmm. his organization actually uh, manages some of my travel as well, if not all of it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and some of those events you've been able to go with me. So it's been pretty cool Definitely. for you to experience that too, I'm sure. Very cool. And even uh, we went to, we took the youth to his uh, youth camp last year too when, when I was right. working with the youth at Mosaic. So definitely yeah. uh, an awesome guy and doing some really great work. Yeah. So I can't wait for our people to have a listen. Yeah. Let's check it out. All right, friends. We are back here and I've got a buddy, a good buddy of mine. Clayton King is in the house. Hello. Hello. What's up? Bro, man, it's been a minute. We talked about it earlier setting up the podcast. It's been quite some time. Man, COVID messed everything up. It just (laughs) ruined our plans. Uh, we were going to hang out. You were going to be speaking at camp and winter conference. And, right. Uh, and then, yeah, it feels like the year that we lost, but it was a year where I learned a lot about myself. I feel like I learned a lot about leadership. I, I learned a lot about my limitations, my own personality. <laughs> uh, spent a lot of time with my family, read a lot of books. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thankfully, we're hopefully on the tail end of this thing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we've known each other. Let's see for how long. Let's try to remember this. Um, We've known of each other. We've orbited around each other, I would say. And then I think we really reconnected at Catalyst uh, Christian Conference uh, in Atlanta. Was it Atlanta? Yeah, I think it was. And what year was that? 2007? 2008, maybe? No, 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 no. Later than that? Oh, a lot later than that. No, we met each other there, but then again, we reconnected. It was... Uh, 2014. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. It was the and year then, that we moved to Anderson from, uh, from North Carolina. Uh, and I believe I, made, I believe I reconnected with you there because I remember talking to you at a, a leadership conference that they had in Charlotte Elevation uh, back yes. in the early days of Elevation. And then I preached for Derwin one weekend and you and I had sushi together yes, in Charlotte yes, yes, afterwards. Yes. And then so yes. all of that is sort of uh, in the mix in the time. I can't remember the exact timeline. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And so since then, oh my gosh, um, man, we've done a lot of things. And now I'm, act- I'm actually part of your 
I mean, I would say part of your team, part of your ministry in a formal yeah. setting too, is that you guys handle all my uh, speaking events, right? Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about you this morning. We had a staff meeting at 830 and uh, talking about all the different invitations that you've gotten and all the, the platforms God has allowed you to ascend so that you can share, teach, <laughs> speak, and preach. Man, um, it's really great to have you on the team. Of course, I like being around you because we have a lot in common. We're also extremely different, but you're just fun. I like having a few fun <laughs> friends that I don't have to always talk about deep theology with. You know? Yes, deep theology, Dr. Derwin. You want to have fun, you call Naive. Talk to Naive, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I think I remember we were we were gifting back and forth once. Uh, uh, and you're like, you are my funniest, what do you called me? Your funniest uh, text friend or something like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can't share what we gift about, but, but you know, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I love it, man. Anytime I get a text from you, I get excited. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, uh, so tell our audience who you are, bro, right now. Yeah, name's Clayton King. I'm a dad. I have two teenage boys, 18 and 15. I'm married to my wife, Shari, for 22 years. I uh, nice. am the co-founder of a nonprofit organization called Crossroads. We do summer camps, student conferences, retreats. My dog is about to bark his head off because another woman is dropping <laughs> off a meal. I can see her through the window. So I'm just preparing you that my dog is about to lose his mind in like three, two, one. It's, Let's see what happens. Okay, we might miss it. Okay, I think oh. we're missing it. Okay, maybe she, maybe she slipped up and slipped off. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Coast is clear. That's Coast is clear. So um, my wife and I started this uh, nonprofit organization over 20 years ago, and uh, we do trips all over the world. I've been to 50 countries. I lived oh in Kenya gosh. for a semester in college, uh, spent a lot of time in India, made seven trips to India. Uh, I'm also a pastor. So I pastor a church in South Carolina called New Spring. It's a multi-site church. We have 14 campuses all across the state. Uh, I think we're the biggest church in the state, but who knows anymore because numbers are yeah. really sort of. Who knows? And, he, and who cares, really? Um, and I'm an author. I've just finished my uh, 18th book, and I'm working on number 19 right now. And it's due in February of next year. So, uh, yeah, I love yeah. Uh, out, I love being outside. I have a motorcycle, and you and I need to ride <laughs> soon. Give us an excuse to hang out and get in the I don't, I don't think that we have time to ride because you're so busy doing everything that you just went through. Like, I don't even know. Like, how do you I do that? Up, I, so I get up definitely and drink a lot of coffee. I, I drink oh a lot of coffee. my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, all right. Well, you're the perfect guy to have this uh, conversation with. So in these darkroom sessions, we're talking about just the deep work that God has done in dark times in our lives. Um, and so let's jump right in, bro. Uh, let's jump yeah. right in. Um, so yeah, so you've been doing ministry, obviously very seasoned. Um, and man, you've been a blessing to me in so many ways. Mm -hmm. You don't even know. Um, and so, yeah, man, as you jumped into ministry, let me ask you right up front, like, what is something that you thought, man, I would never struggle with this. Like I would struggle with this and that and that, but not this thing. Um, yeah. and it kind of even surprised you. Do you, did, did something come to mind? Yeah. The first thing that pops into my head, this is just a, a very honest answer is what a people pleaser I still am. That surprises me to this day. I'm painfully aware of how much 35 years in ministry now, I'm 48, just barely older than you, 
And after three and a half decades in ministry, I still find myself wondering if certain people approve of me or if certain people like me. And some of that is my own insecurity, just as a human being. Some of that is yeah. my Enneagram number. I'm a three. Uh, I'm achievement-oriented. I'm success-oriented. I'm extreme extrovert. But when I was you know, a teenager and I started preaching and sharing my testimony and dreaming up uh, new things we could do in ministry, back then I didn't really, I don't remember that I cared a lot about what people thought. And then really? as I matured a little bit, yeah, I didn't care very much. And some of that was, I think I was just clueless. Um, I was just clueless. I didn't really understand all that ministry entailed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then, then I went off to college. I had some professors and some pastors and some older mentors that helped me become a little more self-aware of um, how I presented myself, of my energy, my volume, um, of the way that I interacted with people. Because I'm an extreme extrovert, I just kind of assumed that everybody is an extreme extrovert like me. And so mm -hmm. I had to, I had to t temper some of my personality. So I learned to be more aware of how I was perceived also began to study Billy Graham. And as a Christian, there's no greater leader that's ever lived. But you know what? Honestly, mm. just as a, as a business leader or a communicator, anyone that wants to learn some really valuable lessons of leadership should study the life of Billy Graham. Other than the Pope, he is the most well-known, recognizable human being mm. in the world over a 50-year period. And this man mm. just was, he touched the world with his, with his message. His message, of course, was the gospel, but he was a man that treated people with kindness. He treated people with gentleness. He also reinvented himself by learning how to mature and how to understand the audiences and the crowds he was speaking to. And so I started to study him in my 20s. Yeah. And I became more aware of um, how people heard what I had to say and how they perceived and received the message. And then as I got a little bit older, uh, you know, now I'm closer to 50 than I am 40, I'm finding myself going back to some of those, uh, some of those weaknesses of, you know, I wonder, I wonder if people like me. It doesn't happen all the time, but I can become fixated with, um, I hope that message was good enough, or uh, I hope that people really understood my heart. And this is something that I'm, I'm I still have to wrestle with to know, okay, I did my best. Yeah. I don't have to, I don't have anything to prove. I don't have anyone to impress. God loves me. God is proud of me. My heavenly father has already approved of me because of Jesus. I'm made in his image. I don't have to earn people's love. It doesn't happen to me often, but when it does, I'm very aware that I, that I still have this insecurity that I sometimes struggle with. It's, it's so weird too, man. It comes out of nowhere. Yeah, um, is, it, is there something that triggers it? I, I think sometimes, yes, there is. Fatigue. Fatigue triggers. Fatigue triggers feelings really? of insecurity. So this is something, you know, even talking about things I wish I had already, you know, like mastered or things that still surprise me that I'm struggling with. This is, so, it's so funny for me to say this, but so true. I still feel like, I'm about 78 to 83% um, disciplined in my schedule and my daily routines. But then there are some times where I get off my schedule, I get off my routine, I stay up too late, I take on too many responsibilities, I say mm -hmm. yes to too many one-on-ones, I say yes to too many uh, invitations. And when I get tired, 
and I get fatigued, I don't, I don't emotionally process things accurately. And so that's the trigger for me. So really, if I want to uh, not go down that road of insecurity and wondering if people approve of me or like me, I just need to make sure that I'm exercising. I need to be eating healthy, drinking a lot of water. I don't drink soda. I don't eat a lot of sugar. My wife is very health conscious and she helps our family uh, in mm -hmm. that regard. So if I'm taking care of those little discipline areas, then typically I don't struggle as much with those feelings of like, you know, fear and insecurity of what people think about me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you said that because I think a lot of leaders, you know, they know this and I think every leader struggles with it. Uh, sometimes it is masked by uh, overconfidence. Sometimes it's masked by even cockiness in a sense, but everybody cares what people think, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the reason why cockiness exists is that because other people are around, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't be cocky if you're all by yourself. If it was just it, you. It, it wouldn't, pride wouldn't even work if it was in a vacuum. Like, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> so like, um, so I think people struggle with that. Leaders struggle with that. I think the big question is, is that how, like, what is the danger? Mm. What's the danger with that? Like, why, yeah. like, why do you, why do you, why would you say it's a, I get, I get the general idea of like why you shouldn't care what people think, but why do you think it's dangerous to you mm. or detrimental to you? And why do you think it's detrimental to a leader that might be, or a person that might be struggling with that? Why is so it? To be a, yeah, you know, kind of by definition, a leader is someone who goes first mm -hmm. and invites everyone to follow them. That's what a leader yeah. does. So whether you're a business leader, principal of a high school, coach of a softball team or a football team or a pastor of a church or a nonprofit like we have at Crossroads, a leader is a woman or a man that says, hey, guys, um, I know the way and I'm going to go first. You guys and you ladies, come follow me. Let's let's go together. Yeah. So for for a leader, um, one of the one of the detrimental aspects of this weakness that a lot of times we find ourselves in is that if we're not careful, we can err on one side of it, of the extreme. So if you think about a road, there's a ditch on the left and a ditch on the right. And those ditches serve a purpose. They, they channel and funnel water away from the road so you don't wreck. But what you want to do is you, you, you don't want to drive into a ditch because if you drive yeah. into a ditch, you get stuck. So the ditch has a purpose, but your, your purpose is to avoid the ditch and stay on the road. So like for you as pastor of Mosaic, that road, that path is you're loving your wife and your kids and you're leading a church and you're leading people to follow Jesus. You know, same thing for me as a pastor, for me as an author, I have this road that I'm going on but I lead people so people follow me. So I need to have the courage to be able to say to them, hey, I see a preferred future that I want all of us to go to together. We're going to accomplish something that's valuable. We're going to accomplish something that's good. So if a leader allows um, the fear of what other people may think about them to mm -hmm. dictate the pace at which they go or even the, even the, the destination that they pursue, then what we end up doing is we end up imagining that people like us too much or not enough, or that they really hate us or that they, they kind of don't like us a little bit. We imagine scenarios in our heads. And if we're not careful as leaders, we can allow um, a, a real true criticism to derail us from that path 
or we can allow mm. an imagined criticism yeah, of yeah, someone yeah. to derail us. And then what happens is everybody suffers because leaders have influence and leaders call people to a, you know, basically a, a higher thing. So here's right. a preferred outcome. And the leader says, we're going to come up with a plan and we're going to achieve this together. And everybody's going to benefit from it. So everybody doesn't benefit if the leader gets derailed from their mission of leading people into a preferred future. And, and that's why it's so important. So here's, here's something I learned mm -hmm. during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I used to strive for balance. I used to tell guys in my coaching networks, I would tell you know, people when I would go and do leadership training, we need to balance out our lives. And one of the things I learned through, through the pandemic, for me personally, I don't mm -hmm. use the word balance anymore. Because mm -hmm. it is a myth. It, it doesn't exist. Yeah. If you think about balance, like, for instance, if I try to balance my iPhone on my finger, it, it'll, it'll never, ever achieve perfect balance. And even if it does for a split second, it's going to fall. That, that's, the, that's balance and balance doesn't exist. So I have replaced that word in my own life, and this has been helpful for me, with a different phrase, and that's harmony. Hmm. So I don't, I don't strive for balance in my life anymore. Mm -hmm, I strive mm -hmm. for harmony. I want to harmonize like a symphony or a, or a great, I'm a rock and roll yeah, fan, like yeah. a great rock band. Right before <laughs> the pandemic, we went to see the Eagles play. I took my wife no to way. see the Eagles. <laughs> we were by far the youngest people at the concert. <laughs> and, um, and these men, like the way that they harmonized their vocals, the way that they just held us audience spellbound for three hours, that's really more of what I want my life to look like as a leader. I want to have a harmony to my life to where, when it comes to this fear and this weakness of what people think about me, I, I want to be aware of how I come across to other people, because yeah. if you're not aware of it, you're just going to tick everybody off and no one's going to like you. You're going to burn every bridge. No one wants to be your friend and, and you can't accomplish anything. And we've all known people like that. We don't want to be around them because they're just unpleasant. But at the same time, I, I want to be, um, committed enough to my calling and my mission that th when, when I need to ignore what someone may not like, I can do that because a leader never accomplishes anything by always taking a survey to see what the crowd thinks. Yeah. 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 So that's yeah. the harmony. So that's the harmony that I'm trying yeah. to achieve. Yeah. I want to, yeah. I do care what certain people say and think. I want to make sure that when I preach a message at my church, that 90% yeah. of the people didn't hate it. I can't <laughs> ignore that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what you're saying is uh, so important um, and something that every leader and every person, even in leadership roles, uh, even for some time needs to know, because I mean, even as a basic, you know, not, it's nothing basic about parenting, but even at, in that level, like if you're always a, you know, people pleaser or a kid pleaser, I mean, you're going to have a, you're going to have Whew, you're gonna have a, yeah. a hard time trying to raise functioning adults, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I, uh, as you were talking, I think uh, one way the way I think about it is like this idea of being. You have to allow your values to lead you, or instead of being led by your worth. Because, like for me, as a people pleaser as well, because I'm in Grand Three, all the things, and I do worry about people image how I look like all that and I want everybody to like me like I just think everybody if you like if you knew me you would like me like that's my <laughs> motto in life <laughs> me if too. you don't like me you just don't know me 
if you just knew yeah. me, if I spend more time with you, I will tell you, you will fall in love with me. And so that's my thought. <laughs> it was a wake up call for me to go. Like, I think I read uh, Necessary Endings by, uh, what's his face? Um, Henry Cloud. Henry Cloud. And he was like, there are people who do not like you, will never like you. And if you think everyone likes you and you think everybody's your friend and you don't have an enemy, you are naive. And I was like, oh, well, I don't believe you. <laughs> you know, like, but I, <laughs> I was like, I think he's right. I think he's right. So I think like for me, being led by values allows me to go, okay, regardless of how popular a decision is or regardless of how popular or unpopular a decision is, or this is so hard to do, I have to let my values lead me versus me chasing my worth. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because values are determined and I determine them. And then sometimes we let our worth in a sense be determined by, you know, uh, other people. Do they like the yeah. sermon? Will they invite me back? Will they read the book? Will they do this? Will they do that? And then, and then you can get screwed up. Like you're leading yourself can get messed up in a very, uh, elementary level you are now leading by basically trying to be trying to have worth yeah you know? when we tie our and when we when a leader ties his or her worth to the people that they're leading yeah and eventually they end up doing whatever they think the people would like the most yeah and and, and if there's no value that guides you then there is no preferred future that everybody can go to. So like, you know, for, for me as a, as a pastor at New Spring with a team of pastors, we're, we're constantly asking questions around um, things like, just, let's just think about the last year, social justice, racism, the pandemic, masks, vaccines, the attack on the Capitol, Trump and Biden. I'm not going political. I'm just using this as an example. Yeah, yeah. You live in the same world I live in. So we're constantly trying to make decisions on what we're going to talk about, how we're going to approach this, and what is our social media presence going to look like. And we'd have multiple conversations about tone and about um, humility and making sure that we weren't coming across as judgmental or self-righteous. And you can't please everybody. We know that. And if you try to please in a mm -hmm. polarized in a polarized world, there you go. It was a little delayed. In a polarized world, it's even more important that a leader leads chasing the things they value, yeah, and not chasing um, the polls, yeah. And yeah. and that's what. And I love. I, I I don't love all politicians, but politics does fascinate me. But what happens when people get frustrated with politics is typically we feel like. That, that there's no legitimacy to the political uh, world because we don't really know what those people believe. They're just mm -hmm. bought out by the big corporations or they're mm -hmm. bought out by big donors. And so when legitimacy is questioned in a leader, it's typically tied to, mm. well, I don't really know what they believe. I don't really know what they value. Mm. It just mm -hmm. seems like they're taking a poll and they made these promises when they're campaigning and then they get into office and they do the total opposite. Mm -hmm. So the reason why we sometimes lack trust in a leader is because we don't feel like there's legitimacy to their leadership if they're chasing worth, making everybody else happy versus this is what I really truly believe. Yeah, yeah. And so values have to be tied to belief. Belief really is everything. And that's why Jesus puts so much emphasis on believing in the gospel, specifically John's gospel. I mean, that was the theme of John's gospel, believe. 
-hmm. believe God, believe Jesus, believe, believe the gospel, believe the resurrection, believe that God keeps his promises. And so even for me as a pastor, for me as a dad of two teenage boys, I want them to know there are some things I truly believe, and I want to instill those values in my kids so yeah. that the preferred future I see for them, which is uh, married, children, career, calling, they make the world a better place. They add value to the world they live in. Somebody yeah. has to give them those values. Yeah, that's good, man. Really good. So let me ask you this, like in terms of like what you thought you'd never struggle with, you talked about people pleasing. What is something God you think? Let me ask you this. What do you think God is trying to develop in you right now? And, and you're frankly like, uh, hmm. oh, it's a tough one. I'm not quite, <laughs> I just don't even want to go there, God, right now. Or Yeah. So here's, here's something I think, I don't know what, I can't give a, a quick and concise answer uh, in, a, in a phrase or a tweet. But I can say that at 48 years old, yeah. 35 years in ministry, I don't, I don't know. I, so I know I'll always preach. Until the day I die, I'm going to open up the Bible and I'm going to preach. That's the one thing yeah. I know I'm called to do. But I've, I've also noticed that as my boys are getting older, you know, our boys really don't need us that much anymore. You're kind of in that same world with your kids. Our kids are roughly the same age, but my boys both have a car. They're very independent. My oldest son just got a full four-year scholarship to Anderson University. Nice. So there's a part of me that's already beginning to, to like predict what the empty nest is going to feel like, not just with my kids leaving home, but me going, okay, what happens when I'm 52 or 53 and I'm not the young, creative um, God is preaching in jeans in a world where all the preachers used to wear suits and ties because when I started <laughs> back in that late 80s, wow. I mean, dude, I started, started preaching the 90s. Oh my gosh. And, and I was the edgy guy because I'm preaching the jeans and the <laughs> Yeah, right. I had the mullet back in the day. So, so now I, I'm really open to the Holy Spirit to answer your question. Every day I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be the old guy that refuses to change because mm. we've, I've seen that guy. I've seen that pastor who's 65 years old and just every great staff member that came to his church has left because he won't do anything new. He won't try anything new. He won't read a leadership book. He won't go to a conference. And it's like, we're still running the same play we ran 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the guy that's so set in my ways and I only know how to do ministry one way. I only know how to write books one way. I only know how to communicate one way. I'll, so what I want to do every day, Naeem, is to say to the Holy Spirit when I wake up in the morning, I fully surrender myself to you today. I'm open for whatever assignment you give me. I don't want to get stuck in a rut. Mm. And it, Why do you think you would? I just think it's easier when you've been successful. Mm -hmm. And and this is to God's glory. This is not boastful of me at all when I say this, but I've seen I've seen some successful things happen in ministry. We've yeah. we've built a, a successful nonprofit. God has given us a, a successful church, and by whatever metric we gauge success, I've written some some books that have done well. Um, and so I don't want to. I think the temptation is to just think to yourself: there's only one way to do it, and it worked before. It'll always work. Mm, yeah and that's and that's yeah. typically 
in the in the in the process of an organization that dies or you know there's plateau and then there's death or yeah growth plateau and death and of course there's more intricacies to it than that um i want to be bringing up the next generation so at new spring we have a phrase that pastor brad cooper has kind of coined with us that our version of success is succession yeah so success is succession at 48 years old i want to already be looking out into the horizon right say, okay how how can I maximize my influence to bring other guys in? And honestly, that's one of the reasons why you were one of the first uh, speakers that we brought onto our Crossroads speak, our CKM speaking team. I don't want to be the only guy that's out there on the road speaking for our nonprofit. So now we've got 13 people. We just added four more new speakers. And one mm. of them is my 18 year old son. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So, I'm so, so excited. I don't, to, I don't want to get stuck in the rut. I don't want to be the old guy that refuses. To okay. Change. Okay. All right, let me ask you another question then. What do you think is the biggest challenge or one of the challenges maybe? What's something that's really got you uh, triggered in a good way, but in a deeper way about like, or in a way that concerns, like what's happening in the church? What do you think is the biggest struggle? What do you think is the biggest, hmm. uh, what, what would you say to a pastor while listening to this, a leader listening to this, someone who wants to be in ministry? I mean, I know there's a lot of questions wrapped up into one, but like, what is something that you're like, man, I just wish I could tell this to every leader out there. Yeah. Is there anything in particular? So, I mean, know, I know there's someone, a lot of things. Yeah, that's a, gosh, I love that. That's a big can of worms. Um, for someone who is already in ministry, like you or me, that's in a leadership yeah. role, I would, I would say if you are feeling discouraged, if you think you might be depressed, if you are finding yourself anxious all the time, maybe it's because of all the changes we experienced through COVID. Maybe it's a, a financial strain. Um, maybe it's there's division in your church over issues, politics, the mm -hmm. president, racism, um, COVID, masks. Talk to somebody. That would be the thing I would tell someone that's in ministry now before you quit before you just tap out and say, I'm done, I can't handle it, ask for help. Do you think a lot of leaders are depressed? Yes, I know it. It's, it's, it's not a think, it's a no. I absolutely know it. So I keep up with this a good bit. This is something that I'm, um, it's a passion of mine. So when my parents died a year, year and a half apart from each other, back in 2011, 2012, I actually wrote a book called Stronger about the Apostle Paul and about his weakness and his struggle. I think Paul struggled with what I would call discouragement, maybe even depression. I think that he had to really wrestle with the fact that he was responsible for killing the first Christian martyr in Stephen. Mm. So when Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh, I think he had two. I think he had a physical thorn, which was his eyes. And there's scripture to prove that, I think. Um, and then I think he struggled with the emotional weight and discouragement of knowing that he had killed Stephen even though he was forgiven. So, mm -hmm. so I, I've been reading a lot since COVID. Uh, there are some really scary statistics from Barna, from Gallup, from Lifeway Research about the number of pastors who are literally on the brink of burnout, uh, the number of pastors who have resigned or quit or taken an early retirement over the last 15 months is pretty staggering. Mm -hmm. And this is across denominational lines. So what I, what I would encourage anyone that's in ministry right now to do is ask for help. Go see a counselor. 
spend some money. There's a counselor in Charlotte. I started going to see this guy. His first name is Lance. He really kind of specializes in pastors. I had a pastor tell me almost 10 years ago, you need to go see Lance. Lance Mm. helped me. Lance will help you. And so I spent some money going to see Lance for someone to just help help me process everything I was going through because Mm. ministry, it's unlike any other any other vocation. You're never done. Yeah. Always somebody that needs advice or prayer or counseling. And and you're never ever finished. And so ask for help. Um, Take some time off. Go on a vacation change up the rhythms of your life, begin to practice a Sabbath day. Um, recently, I had a guy ask me, what would happen to me, Clayton, if I do everything you're telling me with going to counseling and telling my elders I need a break and they fire me? And this is a, pa- a pastor, oh my a father of three. I said, brother, I hope they don't fire you, but there are worse things in life than being fired. Yeah. I found out yesterday that an acquaintance of mine, a bivocational pastor here in South Carolina, took his own life this weekend. Left behind a oh wife gosh. and kids. He his his mother outlived him. Oh my this goodness. is a guy that that just looks like he's got it all together, but there was this inner turmoil. Mm. It could have been mental health. It could have been depression, anxiety. It could have been a result oh. of trauma he had experienced. So if you're in ministry and you're and you're beginning to feel these things, own up to it, pray, journal, talk to the Lord, but ask for help. Mm. And I guess the advice I would give um, somebody that's thinking about going into ministry is spend time wrestling with God in prayer so that when you do begin to pursue ministry, you feel like God called you to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not just a career path you choose. Mm. You actually feel like whether it's an audible voice mm-hmm. or a nudge from the Holy Spirit or your community, maybe even your parents or other people around you. That was part of my calling before I was even a believer in Jesus, before I was a Christian. Older people in my family and my community called out my gifts. They would say, mm. Clayton, you're you're really good with people. You're you're a really great communicator. You're loud. You're vibrant. <laughs> you you entertain people. You're You've got a big personality. And the same things that I got in trouble for in middle school and elementary school was mm-hmm. like being loud and I would never shut up and I'm always trying to boss people around and I'm always trying to, <laughs> you know, get things stirred up. Those were gifts that God had given me that older people recognized yeah, in me. Yeah, so yeah. part of being called is having people call out those gifts and say, I noticed something in you. I think God might be calling you. So wrestle that to the ground because when times get hard in ministry, the yeah. thing that keeps you in the game is knowing that God called you. Oh man, that's good, man. So good. So good. You know, you are like a wealth of information, you know, that right? and wisdom, you know that, right? You just, just open a... up, just open up <laughs> a little bit. And then all of a sudden it just starts pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring out. So this is so good. So good. I just made a lot um, of mistakes. That's it. I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, all right. So let me, let's wrap this up a little bit. Uh, so, one last thing, uh, uh, two last things, actually. One, why do you keep doing what you're doing? And of all the things you've wrestled through, why do, you know, all, in, in, the, in the darkest of days, or you have one of those days and you're like, I want to kill everyone, you know, not really, but I want to, okay, I want to kick all the dogs. I want to, you know, I want to, I just want to quit, right? Why do you personally keep going? 
Uh, and secondly, uh, yeah, what are the things you're up to right now and how can people uh, uh, connect with you, bro? Reach out to you. Cool. So the reason why I still do it, and there are plenty of days I want to quit, I always kid around with the guys in my coaching network. If you're in ministry and you don't want to quit at least once a month, you're not doing it right. Hmm. Really? Yes. Yes. There has to, there, there needs to be, I know once a month, once a week, twice a year, the timing of it isn't necessarily, that's kind of, that's kind of anecdotal, but ministry should be so wonderful that you can't imagine doing anything else but so difficult mm. that you can't do it without God's help. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Naeem, when we see, and I'm not, I'm not going to list off the, all the names, but the last 15 to 18 months have been really tough for evangelical ministry in America. So whether it's Carl Lentz or Bill Hybels or um, James McDonald, we are, or, you know, Jerry Falwell Jr. We've seen, four or five massive, um, yeah. what I would call just cratering episodes where these leaders with, with great influence and great legacy just yeah. cratered under the weight of whatever the thing was. And yeah. my heart would never judge those men. I, I knew two out of those mm. four men. So my heart is never one to judge them. But I think the thing that keeps me coming back mm. to it the reason why I keep doing it when, when the pressure gets so great, mm -hmm. the reason why I, I keep doing it is the same reason I'm a Christian. It's, it's two simple things. The reason I'm a Christian, if I could boil it down, it makes sense and it feels right. Hmm. End of the day, that's why I'm a Christian. It makes sense right here. When I, when I study the life of Jesus, when I read the Gospels, when I see how no human being has impacted and changed the trajectory of human history like this man. And I do all the research on who he was and how he treated people and how he elevated women and how he took a religion that was just for the Jews and made it for the whole world. Like mm -hmm. it makes sense. And then like it touches, my, it, not, it, it, it doesn't just stimulate my brain. It, it touches my heart. Like when I'm in worship. Yeah whether I'm in um, a stadium in Uganda with a hundred thousand believers or whether I'm in a basement of a church in India with 12 Christians who are scared they're going to get locked up and people start singing to Jesus mm. in a language I don't understand and I can't speak the way it makes the hair on my arm stand up, the way it makes my heart feel like this is why I was created to commune mm. in a transcendent way with God mm. That feels right. Mm. So the same two things that make me a Christian, it makes sense and it feels right. Those are the two things that keep me coming back to ministry mm. day after day, year after year, decade after decade. It makes sense to me. This makes sense. I know how to do ministry. I'm not saying I'm an expert. I don't know how to work on a diesel engine. I don't know mm. how to teach a calculus class, but I know how to do ministry. It makes sense to me. I, mm -hmm. I understand what it's like to have broken people with messed up marriages and yeah. trauma in their past who have been abused and they need somebody to listen. They need someone to help. They need someone to care. I get that. That makes sense to me. I'm wired yeah. that way. I want to help them. I want to love them. I want to care for them. I want to pray for them. I want to 
tell them my story. I want to hear their story. That makes sense to me. And then, man, when I stand up on a stage and I open up the Bible and I talk about Jesus, that yeah. feels right. Yeah. Nothing else feels right to me. Mm. So that, that's why I keep doing ministry, because it makes sense and it feels right. Mm. Man, that's great. I love that you said that, that because it makes it more, it's so spiritual, but yet so practical and so real. Uh, it makes it more human, uh, because sometimes it, uh, at some point we got to really understand that what we do is so wired up into everything that we are versus this spiritual uh, impact, the spiritual moment that we had one time and we thought we were supposed to do it. And there's so many guys who've burnt out or quit and because they had, there was, it was more emotion than it was a, than a deeper conviction. So right. great. Yeah. All right. So bro, I know we can keep on going. I know. And we have before, but for this podcast, how can, as we end, how can people get in touch with you? Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you can, and what are you so doing right now? By the way, what are you doing right now? Yeah. If you want people to buy something, get something, sure. or check out something, Look, yeah. So let me show what I'm probably most excited about right now. Okay. Um, I just wrote uh, my 17th or 18th book. It's called Reborn, and it's a it's a book about Jesus and 12 people in the Gospels that he'd met personally, and and I compare how Jesus changed those people with a modern day version of all 12 of those characters that I've known personally. So it's, a, mm. it's my favorite book I've ever written. Here's what I'm excited about. Mm. So the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association just made my book available to everybody. Oh my God. Basically everybody in the world that wants a copy. Oh this, my God. This is literally like, I cannot describe to you. I cannot if believe anybody it. knows me. Wow. The, the way I've loved Billy Graham since I first became a Christian. Oh so I'm my pretty gosh. excited about that. Dude, that's, um, I'm so happy for you, man. That's so awesome. Yeah. So awesome. We're, the biggest thing we're working on right now is Crossroads Summer Camps. You'll be there again speaking this summer. This is the biggest thing we do as a ministry. So we're uh, we're trying to retool our camps after we had to cancel all of them last year. Yeah. So we've got just under 5,000 kids coming to our camps this summer. So mm-hmm. pray for our team there. If you want to get a copy of my book, Reborn, or if you want to find out about our camps or winter conference, um, that big student event we do in Gatlinburg, or I'm really excited about this. We're doing a, a Crossroads Marriage Conference in Shelby, North Carolina, and we're doing another one in Asheville, North Carolina. All of this is available. Just go to ClaytonKing.com. It's our website. The best way people can find out about me. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just search my name, Clayton King. It all pops up, and I'm pretty I'm pretty interactive on social media platforms, and I try to keep it positive and encouraging, <laughs> and I try not to get in the weeds and fight with people because everybody That's likes true. to fight, and I don't want to fight. I'm a lover. Yeah, I know. I I love it. I love it. Love it, bro. This has been such a deep, good, powerful, potent session. So thank you, thank you so much, bro. And um, yeah, and I'll see you shortly. Okay, I love you. Let's ride bro, bikes. Thank you. All right. Yes. See ya. Bye. Man, I'll tell you what, after listening to him, I'm sure our listeners are like, uh, what am I doing with my life? Because I don't know if you noticed, like, oh man, he's, <laughs> he's written 18 books. Seriously. <laughs> Who's written 18 books? That's more Anyways. than I've read. That's more than I've read. <laughs> In your lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. With all the schooling, all, all the schooling. It's still, still. Not a lot of it's, it's books about, in art school. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, man, and great conversation about like really, you know, being real about, uh, yeah, pastors and leaders and dealing with depression. So yeah. hope this has been a blessing to a lot of people. For sure, man. If, if this has spoke to you, if you enjoyed this episode, um, please like, share, subscribe our channel. You can find us on all the platforms. You can go to nightandfossil.org uh, to find the links as well. And uh, yeah, tag us on social media, you know, upload it to your story. We appreciate all of the love. And um, like Naeem said, we're not sure. We may have a few uh, things in the works for you guys in the near future. So we're really excited about the future of the podcast and um, got some fun things planned. Right, Naeem? Yes, we do. We do. But, but I, you got to be subscribed we... maybe to see it. I don't know. Like, right. so you can stay in the yeah, loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We've got some interesting things got happening. I don't want to surprise. I don't want to give it uh, yeah. you know, give it away. So, but yeah. Uh, Until awesome. next time. Cool. See you guys later.